Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Welcome to Merrick's Experts. My name is Kerstin Lose Friedrich, and I'm the director of communications at Merrick's. How do Germans feel and think about China, and why? That's the question Peter Hayes Grease deals with since a few years. He's the Lee Kai Hong Chair and Director of the Manchester China Institute at the University of Manchester. And he is also Professor of Chinese Politics at Manchester University. He studies the political psychology of international affairs with a focus on China and the United States. Welcome, Peter. Thank you for having me. Why do you want to know what Germans feel and think about China? Well, as a political psychologist, um, very fundamentally believe that perception is reality. So German policy towards China will be shaped not by any actual world that exists objectively out there, uh, but instead by the, the China that they emotionally encounter um, and perceive. So again, it's this idea that it's, it's how China is subjectively understood that will shape how Chinese, sorry, how Germans feel and think about China and how, what kind of foreign policy Germany will, will take towards China. And what are your results? You have a poll you are yes. currently working on. Yes. What are the most important results? So the, the, the broadest findings are that the German public is quite similar to other Western European uh, and the American public um, and feels quite coolly towards China. And I don't think that's surprising because in Western Europe and the United States, we share a liberal tradition that grows out of the Enlightenment that focuses on individual freedom. And I think one thing that most Westerners know about China, we may not be very knowledgeable about China, but one thing that we do know is that it's not a democracy. And uh, so this really has nothing to do with China specifically. It's just the fact that it's not a democracy makes Germans and French people and Brits and Americans suspicious of China. Is there any difference how the Germans feel towards the Chinese government and the Chinese themselves? Yes, actually, that's a great question, uh, because I find that consistently across the different surveys that I've done in Germany, France, the UK, the US, that um, in these liberal countries, uh, we tend to actually feel quite positively towards the Chinese people. They're often seen as a kind of model minority. We have fairly positive stereotypes of Chinese. And generally, it seems Westerners like the Chinese people, um, but they're, again, they're very skeptical of the Chinese government because it's seen as non-democratic. And whether it's seen through the lens of as a communist country, as I think it is quite frequently in the United States, even though I would argue that China today is uh, communist in name only, um, even in Western Europe, where communism isn't such a buzzword, such a bad thing the way it is in the U.S., China is still seen as an authoritarian government. And as such, it is fearful. Uh, we're, we're afraid of, of non-democracies because we fear that they could take away our liberty. The Chinese government is following a kind of soft power policy since quite a while. If you say we are more positive towards the Chinese and maybe towards the Chinese culture than to the Chinese government, then they maybe follow the right politics or the right policy in doing so? building up Confucian Institutes and things like that? 
Well, yeah, so this very much gets at the heart of the challenge, um, is if a Confucius Institute is seen as simply engaging in, say, language instruction or promoting culture, then I think it, it has a very positive impact on how Westerners will see China because, you know, Westerners tend to like things like Chinese food and tea ceremony and kung fu. Um, the problem is when Confucius Institutes are seen as political. And when Confucius Institutes, for example, are seen as censoring free speech, uh, say by limiting what topics a university has lectures on, then all of a sudden the Confucius Institute is seen through this prism of uh, a vehicle of the Chinese state, which again is always going to be seen with a little bit of mistrust and fear by liberal uh, publics. You probably follow the results of the Pew Research Center. They do these kind of polls uh, quite often. Uh, and as far as I followed these results, um, the perception of China really went down, even though they follow this kind of soft power policy, public diplomacy. Why is it? Yeah. Because of the Chinese government and their more assertive stance in diplomatic affairs? or Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Um, my guess is that Western attitudes towards the Chinese people have not changed very much. Again, generally positive views of the Chinese people. Um, but I think what has changed is the perception that Chinese foreign policy has gotten more aggressive. Um, and then also domestic politics. So uh, what's been going on in Xinjiang over the last few years is it's it's been a little bit more widely covered in the media. We could debate over whether that coverage has been sufficient or not, but I think Western publics are, are be becoming more aware of some of the things that the Chinese government is doing, and unfortunately it just plays to the fears that Westerners tend to have about non-democratic governments. If we look at our universities in Germany, we recognize a kind of trend that there's a decline of students who study Chinese or Sinology, mm -hmm. as we call it. Um, does that fit in your picture? You know, I can only speculate, uh, but I would say probably one possible reason for that may actually be related to the kind of more negative perceptions of the Chinese government. So, you know, students may think, well, China's a, a growing economy, there's opportunity in studying China. But I think they also hear their parents and others saying, well, do you really want to risk traveling over there? Is it really safe for you? You know, and some of that may be, you know, a little bit excessive, a little bit, you know, people do business and travel to China all the time. But of course, there are very um, well-publicized cases of, you know, ordinary citizens being detained. And so the Chinese government doesn't do itself any favors and it creates this impression among Westerners, again, unfortunately feeding to Western fears that they may not be safe going to China. So I would suspect that some of the decline may have to do with, you know, maybe a little bit of fear, uh, worry that, you know, um, going to China, you may not be safe. Why do Germans feel even cooler towards China than the Brits and the French? So I only can speculate on that. I think it's an interesting empirical finding. Why that's the case is hard to say. I, I think it primarily has to do with a greater valuation and perhaps willingness to spread human rights ideas. So uh, I had questions in my survey also about how important 
um, people felt it was for their governments to promote democracy, to promote human rights, and Germans scored higher than French and Brits uh, on that, uh, those questions. And I think that is kind of a, a Northern European, Scandinavia, German, American, uh, almost missionary kind of way of thinking about their way of life. You know, I think we Germans, Americans, Scandinavians, we tend to think we have the best system of government and we should share it with everyone else. <laughs> um, I think maybe the Brits and the French aren't quite so missionary about it. You're listening to Merrick's Experts. I'm talking to Professor Peter Gries from the University of Manchester about the Germans' attitudes towards China. And Peter, is the German public divided in its views on China? I think it is. Um, unfortunately, I'm at very early stage of this aspect of the research, and um, there are nu nuances in the data that I haven't fully pulled out, and I need to learn more about Uh, German domestic politics, but it does seem quite clear to me that left and right um, can often dislike China, but for very different reasons. And yet it seems like right now there is a growing consensus on suspicion towards China. And Angela Merkel actually seems out of touch on that, on issues like Huawei. Um, so we'll see to what extent her, her position on that issue is able to, to stand. So to really understand what's going on, you have to explore more of domestic politics in all these countries. Absolutely. I mean, China is becoming one of those buzzwords that is becoming more integral to domestic political cleavages, especially partisan debates, I think, is my sense uh, within Germany, as it has you know, in other countries. And if you compare it to the U.S., where you are quite familiar with this, you, you studied uh, the U.S. perspective on China for quite a while. Yes, I think you know Germany and the rest of Western Europe, um, for better or worse, are heading in the American direction, in the sense that um, you know, the relationship between the U.S. and China has been multifaceted, and not just economic. I think in you know, Europe's relations, Western Europe's relations with China, for Many decades have been primarily about trade and economics, and security has been less of an issue. That was always more of an issue for the U.S. with China during the Cold War, and especially because as the two superpowers, China and the United States, have this nationalistic rivalry. And traditionally, I think Germans, French, and Brits, they weren't so concerned about those security issues. But I think Western European relations with China are becoming securitized and that both sides have a hand to play in that. The Chinese are increasingly, you know, wanting to control discourse on a variety of issues like Hong Kong, Taiwan, Tibet, the Uyghurs, not just within China, but on the streets of Berlin and Manchester as well. And so that securitizes the relationship for, you know, Berliners and, and Mancunians. But meanwhile, in the West, again, you know, this kind of uh, fear of a non-democratic country can also contribute to thinking about China as not just an economic opportunity, but also potentially as a security threat. You were always interested in both sides. Did you investigate the Chinese perspective and their attitude towards the West? Yeah, in fact, my PhD dissertation at Berkeley, which became my first book, uh, China's New Nationalism, 
really was interested in what I think is the primary ideology that shapes how Chinese view the world, and especially the West, and that is uh, what they call fandi, uh, which is literally anti-imperialist patriotism, but you know, as the anti suggests, it's nationalism. It's about uh, constructing what it means to be Chinese against the imperialists, which are the Brits, the French, the Germans, the Americans, the Japanese. And um, that's what my first book was about, was trying to explain to Western audiences how this specific type of Chinese nationalism shapes how Chinese view the world, and particularly the West. I mean, I remember when I studied in the uh, early 90s in China, it was still kind of wish of most of the Chinese students I met there to study once in the U.S. Did that change? Is this kind of idea gone by the U.S. trade war? Or would you say there is a general trend that this is still going on? Or is it just the opposite because of these, yeah, political um, rivalries? I think... Um Chinese still desire to study in the West. There's a lot of prestige from a Western degree, and learning English can be a very valuable skill for, for young Chinese. Um, but increasingly, you know, there are opportunities for Chinese graduates to go home and work for mommy and daddy's company. Um, and so more and more Chinese students who go abroad uh, are planning to go back to China rather than potentially looking globally for job opportunities, as Chinese students in the West did 20 or 30 years ago. And unfortunately, that is changing the nature of their experiences, um, along with the fact that you have more undergraduates and master's students, where in the past there were more PhD students. Um, and so they're just not integrating as much, so they may be going back to China, not possibly not having fully taken advantage of their... Uh, opportunity to interact with you know non-Chinese students while in in these foreign countries. Um, with the trade war, I think uh, there are some Chinese who uh, maybe have become more reluctant to go to study in places like the U.S. and Australia, where there have also been tensions about Chinese political influence, which has actually increased the number of applications to British universities. So there's been a shift among Anglophone countries where Chinese students want to go. And it, it seems like the deteriorating relationship with the U.S. and Australia and even Canada have pushed applications up uh, to the U.K. At University of Manchester, our applications from China uh, rose 40% last year. Wow. And we're already the largest population of Chinese students in all of Europe. You are quite a globetrotter. You were born in Singapore. You were raised in Hong Kong, Washington, D.C., Tokyo, and Beijing. You studied in yes. the U.S. and lived there for many, many years until you went to the U.K., where you yes. are the head of the institution since the Manchester, mm -hmm. um, how it's called, the Manchester China Institute yes. since 2017, which promotes mutual understanding between U.K. and China. What does that imply? Ah, great question. Understanding is not knowledge, and it's not agreement. Um, we can't, given how different uh, our ideologies are in the West and China, we can't always expect to come to agreement on different issues. Instead, what I think is important is the kind of perspective-taking and empathy that can lead to understanding. So, for example, as I explained earlier, my first book 
um, I wrote about Chinese nationalism. And um, the purpose of it was not to convince other Western readers to agree with Chinese nationalism. Um, it was to try to help Westerners understand where Chinese were coming from. So they, to try to help them be in the shoes of a Chinese person to see how they see the world. And uh, it's important that that not be seen as a demand that you agree with them or you condone, say, Chinese policies based on nationalism. But what I think it can do is it can prevent the kind of worst-case scenario thinking where because you don't understand why the other side did something, you assume the worst. So I think uh, understanding is a more modest goal, but it's nonetheless important if we want to avoid the kinds of insecurity spirals that can back us into war, uh, such as we had with um, World War I. You know, nobody set out to start World War I, but fear uh, led countries to back into a war that nobody wanted. And I think that is a real danger in China's relations with the West in the 21st century. And I think promoting the perspective taking central to understanding is one measure we can take to lessen the odds of conflict. Who is the funder behind that institution? <laughs> um, we're very fortunate to have a British a Hong Konger, uh, a businessman who split time between Manchester and Hong Kong, who was independently wealthy, and, and he uh, gave money that helped us set up the institute. Uh, but there are no strings attached You know, he gave the money and it's created an endowment and uh, we live off of the interest on the endowment with our annual budget. So will you stay in the UK after the Brexit? <laughs> I'm not going to accept the premise of that question. Oh, okay. <laughs> Peter, thanks a lot for joining us You're today welcome. at Merricks. And I talked to Peter Gries from Manchester University on China's perception in Germany and the reasons for Germans' critical position towards China. Thanks for joining. My name is Kerstin Lose-Friedrich. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org. <laughs>